She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I feel I have an obligation to make sure that government power is not abused. I mean, I think that's one of the principal roles of the Attorney General. In my 30 years as an agent, I have never witnessed the conditions we are currently facing on the southwest border. This is not a manufactured crisis. Border Patrol continues to apprehend record numbers of people who purposely violate U.S. immigration laws. This is a government takeover. Folks, when you hear government insurance, don't just hear the word insurance, hear the word government. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. We have another jam-packed show for you. And uh, let's let's just face it. Um, we have a crisis going on at the southern border. And there's a, this huge attempt to talk about reparations, to talk about uh, different things like, uh, I mean, Medicare for all, single-payer health care, whatever. There's a distinct desire to muffle the sound of that craziness going on at the southern border. But it's driven by something, isn't it? So today on the program, we are going to actually delve into uh, something that I don't, I don't think we've ever talked about it. Well, I think we, maybe we have. We've talked about this idea that the people who are elected to govern us, they, they actually operate under the consent of the governed, but they also have a responsibility to us to do a good job. And we have talked in the show about how when, when people don't do their jobs, people die. We think about the California wildfires and uh, the, the lack of forest management that, and uh, just everything building up to that moment when PG&E's power lines ignited a fire. And then all of a sudden you have not just people losing their homes and their livelihoods and their businesses, but you have people literally dying because certain people didn't take actions that they were supposed to take. But I'm going a step further than that today. Um, I want to talk about dolts and halfwits seeking power and how we got to stop them. And, and this is so important. We're talking about people who 20, 30, let's, let's go back further. 40 or 50 years ago, if you were a dolt or a halfwit, if you weren't as intelligent as everyone else, you wouldn't dare think, you know what? I should run for political office or... I should, uh, I should try to be the mayor or, you know, I should have power over lots of other people. You knew you were only fit for shop class. You did a job that, that kind of went along with that. And that's, that's where you were. And people who had more skill, had more intelligence, went out for the more consequential things. And they were the ones who were in charge, quote unquote. Now we've just got free range lunatics and idiots running around, getting elected to Congress, getting uh, jobs of consequence and power. And when we hear the things that they're saying and we're shocked, the shock that we hear is not just at their ineptitude, but it's at the fact that other people with the same level of ineptitude elected them into office. There's no reason for us to ever have to listen to clips of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is not intelligent enough to be a Starbucks barista, let alone a you know, someone who, who sits in the halls of Congress and gets to ask questions of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Those people shouldn't have to be subjected to that kind of, it's, it's an intelligence degradation. It's a, a degradation of being able to deal with someone who you can speak the same language and they can understand what you're saying and you can understand what they're saying. A shared history, if you will, where you believe the Webster's Dictionary and the definition of words and uh, both of you have an understanding of how businesses work and how the economy works, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I know we've all encountered people who are, the, you know, their intelligence levels off the chart. And it's almost like you can't talk to them because they're just operating on some other plane. And that's fantastic for them and not so fantastic for, you know, let, let's say I'm encountering that person um, and they're not interested in talking. And, and you can kind of understand why they want to talk about physics or something like that. And I just don't have any background in that. So it's just not going to be a profitable conversation. But that's a singular instance of running up against someone whose brain is enormous, like a you know super mega computer on steroids. And then what we see running around the halls of Congress right now. And AOC is not the only example of someone who isn't intelligent enough to be there. There's also Maxine Waters. Her interaction yesterday with the Secretary of Treasury, uh, Mr. McNugent, is just another example of how someone who she's literally only passed three bills since she's been there, three bills in 30 years. Her district is worse off. 30 years after she took over, and she's much, much better off. She doesn't even live in the district anymore. She lives in a mansion. That's another example of someone who is not intelligent enough to hold that job. Now, I know whales and caterwauling are going on right now because how dare I, as a black woman, criticize Maxine Waters, who's another black woman. She's in Congress, and I'm not. How dare I? Well, I dare because I'm a citizen of the United States, and she is my employee. Not my direct employee because I don't live in her district, but my taxpayer dollars go to fund her lavish lifestyle and her idiocy. She is imbecilic in the way she treats people who come before the committee that I don't even know how it's happened, but probably because she's been there for 30 years. She's in charge of an entire committee. But why? To what end? And these are questions that have to be asked and answered when we look at these people. So we have a whole generation of, of, of young adults now who are, they're pushed by some inner desire to send people like AOC and Tlaib and, and uh, Omar to send people like that into the halls of power. And it is our job to not just resist that, but to stop it in its tracks by telling the truth. And so we had a really interesting discussion this morning in, in a group that I, I go to and we were talking about how we can work um, better, smarter, do more to manage our elected officials, but also to place a high value on being knowledgeable. And, and really, I know it sounds like discrimination or being mean or, or people not, um, you know, you don't want to hear me out. You're not interested in hearing what I have to say. But it, it's, not, it's not anything about that. It's about saying that People who've done the research and have the knowledge base should be heard. And people who are just operating on their emotions should be quiet. And in these discussions about policy, you can see what happens when we let people who are emotionally driven control the conversation. The Green New Deal. I mean, how is that even an actual policy proposal? Even Democrats don't want to be attached to it. Yet AOC is still out there talking about it. Look at the uh, the, the he's from Hawaii. This gentleman was one of the individuals who was uh, questioning um, Candace Owens yesterday. And I have to say, Candace Owens, you know, there, there's some criticism on the right towards her. Um, and she is young and she is finding her way forward. But she's kind of the, a, a chosen one, in essence, if, if you get my drift. And she does have an amazing ability to crystallize a moment and speak into it in ways that other people don't have that communication style. And so while some people are saying, you know, she should sit down, she shouldn't be out. I'm, 
I applaud her being where she is, and I hope that she'll continue to educate herself and continue to to grow in all areas to match up with her public persona. Because if it's her time and it's her opportunity, by all means, and and she took Ted Lou apart yesterday like a small Lego set, the little ninety nine cent or two nine two dollar ninety nine cent ones you get at the the checkout counter at Walmart when you've got a small child and you want to keep him busy, you buy him one of those two ninety nine sets. It's a tiny Lego set. It has like twenty pieces. She took him apart like that in no time for smearing her in the halls of power, trying to insinuate that she was defending Hitler. Again, how did Ted Lieu ever become a member of Congress? How did someone with that little integrity and that much crazy pants, you know, he's like a, his mind is like a bag of cats. How did he ever get to be in charge of a congressional district? And so it's, it's these kind of questions that we not only have to ask ourselves, but we have to kind of take a hard introspective look and say, we as a people, Americans, are electing I want to put this properly. We're on Christian radio here. And I don't mean I'm trying to avoid cursing. I'm trying to avoid mischaracterizing what they're still, they're still made in the image of God. They're still people. But these people that we're seeing making all of these wildly lies, horrible assertions about other people, manipulating, uh, trying to change the tone of the conversation, distracting away from real issues, Uh, really wasting our time and taxpayer dollars. These empty-headed dolts, these halfwits, they're in power because a lot of Americans, sometimes tens of thousands of Americans, certainly thousands of Americans, chose them over other candidates. They chose to send individuals who are not smart enough to do the job into the halls of power for whatever reason. Demographics, that person's the same ethnic background that I am. That person wants to take power away from these people or rob rich people and give to poor people, whatever the the reasoning behind it. In the end, we have half wits and dolts running around the halls of power. And so this is actually, in my mind, when we elect people, when we put uh, these bad people up over us to lead us, first of all, it's, it's a form of judgment. Our elected officials represent the people, which means they are a representation of us. They're almost like a mirror. So that means there are a ton of dolts and halfwits running around the country. But instead of staying back and not sending horrible people to Congress, they want validation for their stupidity. And they send stupid people to Congress to help make themselves stand up better. It, it makes it basically it's a form of validation. There was once a time in this country that we really looked at the credentials of a person, not their demographics, but their credentials. And we said, this person is a great representative. Not only are they qualified, intelligent, they have integrity. They believe in our, what was our way of life at that time, Christianity. And those were the people who went into the halls of power. And of course, it doesn't matter who we send. People are going to make mistakes. Human beings are going to make mistakes. None of us are perfect. There is no utopia here on earth. We cannot usher that in through electing people. But it's just stunning to me that day after day, we have story after story about these people who are, they're not, I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say not fit to be a barista at Starbucks. And the reason I'm using that is because being a barista at Starbucks is actually a difficult job. It involves a lot of memorization and you have to be fast on your feet and you have to be willing 
to submit yourself to the kind of training, it's kind of intense, and then continually be on a learning curve because they're constantly changing the types of drinks that they offer there. And they have ultimate customization. Every drink can be completely customized to suit every single customer, which means there's a never-ending number of different combinations of things that can be put together to make a drink and even some of the food. And so it's actually not a low-skill job working at Starbucks. It's not. It's, it's definitely food service, but it's not low-skilled. And when you have people in Congress who aren't fit to do a Starbucks barista job, but they're earning 178 large sitting in the halls of Congress asking silly questions of people who are, they're valuable members of the president's cabinet and they have things to do. That is when we know, not only have we elected incorrectly, but we have a problem in our populace with people who don't understand what government is there for, what citizens are here for, what the constitution mandates what the Constitution limits, and how all of this is supposed to work together for the good of those who are the citizens, not for the good of the elected officials. Sure, we want them to be housed, fed, you know, have to, to have a, a nice life too, but government does not exist to enrich power-seeking, power-hungry individuals who also happen to be half-wits and dolts. Yet that is the situation we're increasingly finding ourselves in. And it is those same people who stand in the way of the president getting his agenda done on the border. And that's not an accident either. It is no secret that what we're seeing down at the border with these people coming in on fancy charter buses that they're riding. They're not walking. They're riding into Mexico on charter buses and they're being dumped off at the southern border. That is not accidental I mean, you tell me, do you have a charter bus laying around at your, in, in your garage or somewhere on your property that you're willing to let, you know, a few thousand people travel from wherever you live to the other side of the country or down into Mexico or up to Canada? I don't think so. Charter buses are expensive. The buses are expensive. The food, medical care, clothing that these people are wearing, it's all expensive, which means we're watching a coordinated assault on the southern border. And because we've elected halfwits and dolts, we can't do anything about it. So... I'm not trying to discourage you. I believe something's going to happen. I believe that because I'm, I'm praying about it. And I know you are. I believe we're going to see a resolution there. But there is no reason why we as Americans, taxpaying Americans, should be putting up with what we're seeing in Congress right now. It's time to wise up and stop sending incompetence into Congress. It's time to send people who actually understand what the job is and can get it done. And that's not me being mean. That's just real talk. That's the truth. We'll be back with Angela Morabito right after this. You're listening to share 2018 here on Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk is really been a blessing. Uh, I like the fact that they're biblical. And it's showing that that is the foundation. This prayer is how we're going to make it. Um, I just encourage them to keep doing the same thing. They're making a tremendous impact. Uh, if they could be on the other side of the phone and, and understand what they're doing, they would be shocked. They're doing a fantastic job. God bless them. God bless AFA and AFR. Keep doing the same thing. Have a blessed day. God is using Urban Family Talk to inform and empower black families to grow into mature disciples by wisely applying biblical truth to our issues and interests. Please partner with us for our three-day share beginning Tuesday, October 16th. 
here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Some years ago, I read an article about a professional baseball team that was loaded with superstars. I mean, they had talent galore on that team, but their egos exceeded their talent. The bickering and infighting spilled out of the clubhouse into the media. Individual arrogance and pride caused the team to spin out of control, and although they were picked to reach and win the World Series, they got skunked in the first round of the playoffs. They were so obsessed with themselves, they forgot about preparing for their opponent. That story is a parable for what we need to watch out for in the Christian life. We can be destroyed from within as well as from without. It's not just the devil that goes about seeking to destroy us. Sometimes we Christians are our own worst enemies. In Psalm 36, verses 11 and 12, the psalmist reminds us of these two lethal weapons, the internal problem as well as the external problem. He says, Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. That expression, the foot of pride, is a picture of being stepped on or having a foot placed on your neck in such a way that it immobilizes you. Pride always puts a stop to our advancement. It's the first of the two lethal weapons listed here. The second deadly force to watch for is the wicked. Verse 11 says, And let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. Here's what I want you to remember today. We can be destroyed from both within and from without. Pride will stop us in our tracks and make us an easy target for the enemy. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. I am so pleased to welcome our next guest to the show, Angela Morabito. She joins us uh, occasionally, which we love it when she stops by the show. Angela is a contributor to the Washington Examiner. She's also a political consult political consultant. Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Stacy. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. You know, I love when we we have our chats. To quote the cartoon villain, I love it when we have our little chats. Um, we there's so much to discuss, but you actually have something that's really timely because it's tax season. You've been doing some research on the process of filing taxes and how tax prep companies have successfully lobbied to keep the process complicated. Now, this is of a particular interest to me because I feel like we have to have someone do it for us, a CPA. We can't do it ourselves. And I think a lot of Americans feel that way. What, what is behind all of this? Sure. So this is a really interesting topic. A lot of people don't realize that when you sit down to fill out your taxes, uh, whether that's online, software program, or whether you're writing it out by hand, all that information that you tell the government is stuff that it already knows. Your employer has already reported your earnings, your adjusted gross income, um, any federal and state taxes that have been withheld. That's already information that the IRS has. And yet it takes the average person about eight hours to file their taxes every year. And it also costs a lot of money to use these software programs. When it is so easy, it would be so easy to just receive a tax form that's already filled out, go through it, check, make sure everything is accurate, 
fix anything that is not correct and then send it in. And that's the system that most uh, industrialized countries use. Um, the United States does not use that, and it's because tax prep companies like Intuit, who makes TurboTax and H&R Block and a bunch of their competitors, uh, have lobbied specifically to make sure that our taxes stay difficult enough that we will pay them to do them for us. Okay, so... Let's work through this one by one because I tend to get a little enraged this time of year. I'm not going to lie. I, I think it's ridiculous that I have to pay so much tax. And I think it's kind of ridiculous when I look at the, the fraud, the number of illegal aliens who claim 20 dependents, and most of them are in Mexico and they get all this earned income tax credit back. And the fact that foreigners use this time of year to steal people's identities and get tax refunds back. So it, there's there's a whole lot that really ticks me off. But I can tell you I have fresh anger now when you tell me that other countries send their citizens a pre-filled out form where they just make changes and then add in anything that's missing. And that's their tax filing system. And we're we're an advanced nation. We have an amazing amount of technological ability. And that's just to maintain the ability for us to pay TurboTax or somebody? Right. So there's this group called the Free File Alliance. Uh, the name sounds like a great thing. It actually is very counterintuitive. And this Free File Alliance is a group of 12 tax prep companies that got together and they partnered with the IRS back in 2002. And they said, we pledge to provide uh, free tax filing software for 70% of the country, 70% of taxpayers will be eligible to file their taxes with our services at no cost in exchange for the IRS not competing with them. So this sounds like a great thing. In theory, you should be able to go to H&R Block, TurboTax, Refiles.com, all these different websites. 70% of us should be able to file for free. But what these companies did was they hid the free filing uh, opportunity so well in their websites that no one can find it. Over the past 16 years, only about 3% of people who are eligible to file for free have been able to do so. There was a really interesting instance a couple of years ago where a reporter for ProPublica actually sat down with the head of a Free File Alliance member company, and this guy said, oh, it's not hidden. You can Anybody can find it. Anybody who's eligible can take advantage. And this reporter who was very, very smart, handed the CEO of the company his phone and said, okay, great. It's not hidden. So please find for me on your website how I can file my taxes for free. And the CEO of the company couldn't do it. You have a bad faith agreement here from these tax prep companies who are saying, oh, look how easy we made it. But they're squeezing people for billions of dollars. On average, it costs about $110 to file your personal taxes. So we're paying a fee to pay our taxes. It's, it's layers. You know, it's almost like insult to injury. You're right about that because I'm feeling pretty injured right now because if you're not using one of those services, you're paying a lot more than 100 bucks to file your taxes. If you're using a CPA, um, you know, a tax accountant, whatever you want to call them, you're paying hundreds of dollars to file your taxes and you want to make sure they're right. You want to not run afoul of the IRS. You don't want to trigger audits. So you're doing that happily because you're thinking this is the safest way to go about doing business. But what you're saying is that we do have an option that we have the ability to go to one of these tax filing services. Like you said, TurboTax. Uh, yes. Yeah, that comes up. Uh, TurboTax. TurboTax is 
very common, as is H&R Block. Uh, they're all running commercials these days trying to get people to file through their system. Uh, but they have managed to hide the free file option so well. So where like is it? It doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm, I'm on here now. It says um, it has a lot of different things. Products and pricing, tools and tips. Uh, after you file, help, security, tax reform. Um, and so it, it says online products. Is that where you find the free option? I'm just, I'm just right here, like right now while we're talking, I'm on this website. I'm trying to figure out where it is. So when you go to online products, it's going to show you a bunch of different paid options. And here's my thing. I don't think it's wrong for a company to make money on a service it provides. I think that's a huge part of our economy. These companies are providing a valuable service. Here's where they go wrong. is They're actually creating the problem that their service solves. I mean, it's like if the local dog catcher went around releasing people's dogs, like his business is going to boom because he has to go catch the dog now. But it would be so, like, yes, that service has value, but it would be so much better for everyone if he just stopped letting people's dogs out. <laughs> if he stopped, he's letting the dogs out, then he gets paid to catch them. Oh, that's a good analogy. So uh, what I'm seeing here, just just to, you know, I want, I want to make sure everyone who's listening, who's thinking, I haven't filed my taxes yet and I could file them for free still. What, what's, what's the deal? On TurboTax, which is owned by Intuit, it says there's a free edition of TurboTax, easy prep, print, and e-file. Jumpstart your taxes, snap a photo of your W-2. But if you say you want to go further, you can pay a little bit more than zero and do 350 tax deductions and credits, maximize your mortgage and property tax deductions, and turn donations into big deductions. So they're saying they'll help you make sure you get more money. And they continue to do that over and over again as you go up to the premier package, which is $120. Yes, and there are companies that make a big deal out of, oh, file for free, but if you want to take a certain deduction, well, that's another IRS form, so we're going to charge you for that. If you want to file your state income taxes, well, that's a whole separate charge. They wait until you're bought in and you've given them a ton of information, and they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to charge you for it. So how do you do it for free? I mean, is there an actual way to do this for free? Or do you just go to the irs.gov site and print out the stuff yourself and then mail it in? Yeah, irs.gov is going to be your best bet. They will advertise the free file option. Now, again, eligibility, 70% of people are supposed to be eligible, but every single company is going to have a different income cap, a different requirement for you to fulfill in order to be eligible. So I would encourage people, if you haven't filed yet, comparison shop, uh, but also don't be afraid to just file through the IRS directly. If you have a pretty straightforward return, there's not much difference between filling out the form on paper and filling out the form online. It's a little bit old school, but it can save you a couple hundred dollars. And again, if your taxes are pretty simple, it's worth it. If your taxes are more complicated, if you own a business, if you have income from a non-traditional source you're going to end up paying the price, which is unfortunate. And I don't think it should be that way. Yeah, because I think that includes me because I'm, I, you know, I'm an independent contractor um, in doing radio show and consulting and stuff like that. So that means I can't do the simple free option. I think it's kind of crazy that it's this difficult. 
Um, a lot of people on the Republican side have run at certain points in time over the past, let's say, just 10 years that I remember recent history. They've said they want to make tax simple. They want to file on a single uh, postcard. But I happen to know that there's a whole industry of people called tax preparers, CPAs, who, as much as they may even be conservatives themselves or like the candidates' proposals, doing a simple postcard tax filing type system would eliminate an entire industry of people, and they're never going to be in favor of that because that's how they support their families is filing taxes, doing people's taxes every year. Right. And even if we were to switch to a system of pre-filled tax returns, I think there will absolutely still be an industry of tax preparers and CPAs for people who have really complicated returns and they don't know where to start checking over what the government has sent them, or for businesses who are still going to need tax help. Uh, they just won't need someone to fill out the form. They will need someone to check it over. So it definitely changes their job, and it's, but it doesn't eliminate it. We still need their knowledge. We still need their expertise. Um, but of course, you won't have as many people like me who pay to file their taxes using the software. You'll have people like me who are filing their taxes for free, checking all the boxes and saying, yep, these things are correct. Here you go. Here's my check to the IRS. So it will hurt that industry. It won't eliminate it entirely. Yeah, but I don't see people um, like I, whenever I whenever we talk about this conversation, at least for me, among people that I know, it's it always goes back to even if it changes the way people do that job it's going to make it so that people cannot, um, people who are currently making a living at a certain level can't achieve, achieve that same level because of the huge reduction in people who would need help with their taxes just because um, of, of a new simpler way of doing things, which I understand that and I wouldn't want my industry eliminated. But by the same token, we're talking about a huge federal bureaucracy that has you know, been at times weaponized by certain uh, you know, political administrations, presidential administrations, and that shouldn't be a possibility for Americans. I think it's really a freedom and liberty issue as well as a, it almost feels like the taxation at this point is a burden and it's also used as a political tool to entice certain Americans to vote in one way or the other. You can, we can use taxes and take money away from those horrible people and give it to you. And so you got people voting basically for greed and avarice's sake. Um, it, it, this, the current system as it stands is, in my opinion, immoral. Yeah, well, right now you have the government essentially propping up the tax prep industry that doesn't necessarily need to exist. What we do need are people who are super smart about taxes and super smart about how people pay taxes to help build systems that encourage more compliance, that encourage more people to file. Uh, the United States has one of the lowest tax cheating rates ever. Uh, but still, like that low rate is wonderful, but still we have about 7 million people who should file every year who don't. Not all of those people would be paying in. A lot of those people would be getting tax refunds. Uh, but because there's such a lack of knowledge out there, those people don't file. So what Wait. I would want to see happen in the tax industry is that it's not entirely created by the government, but that people who are in that industry and in those roles are now focused on getting more people to comply and making sure that the system truly does account for everyone and account for everyone accurately. Okay. So you're saying about 7 million people who would be getting refunds don't file? Because I'm just trying to figure out how you don't 
how you don't file and you get away with it. That's not something that I'm even familiar with, people not filing and getting away with it. Yeah, it's amazing. It does happen. Um, I don't see, at least I'm not aware of any instances where it's been a huge crime thing. It's usually someone who doesn't realize that they need to file or is afraid to file because they think they can't pay. Um, there's so much misinformation about the tax system. And, you know, a lot of times the conversation on taxes is focused around the people who pay the most, focused around the top 10% of income earners. That's all well and good, but most of those people are already paying and already paying accurately. We need to look at the bottom where people are confused about the tax system, intimidated by the tax system, and otherwise being left out and unaccounted for. Hmm. All right. So what else do people need to know? And, and I guess I would probably, I think when I look ahead, like for, for, you know, the next time we have a political season where people are voting, I, there's gotta be some questions you can ask a person who's asking for your vote about where they stand on taxes. If they're going to Congress, um, what would you recommend that people who want to see a better system coming in? What, what would you recommend they ask of potential candidates and things like that? That is a great question. The number one thing that people can ask their candidates and elected officials is, "Do not like, will you continue the free file alliance? I want you to discontinue the free file alliance. The free file alliance is considered a public-private partnership. The IRS brags about it. The companies brag about it. And all of us who are taxpayers get kind of left out and mistreated by it. It's squeezes us for money, that's totally not necessary. So you've got to ask people where they stand on the Free File Alliance. Make sure they want to get rid of it or at least give it some serious reform. Mm, perfect. You know what? This is why we love having you on, Angela Morabito. Thank you for joining us today. Contributor to the Washington Examiner and a political consultant. Where can people find you online? Uh, find me on Twitter at Angela L. Morabito or find me at polishedpolitics.com. And thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, let's talk again soon. And thanks for all of this fantastic information. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so we, I love it when she comes on. She's so like just perfectly succinct, great radio. Um, we also have coming up next, we have a jam-packed first hour. We have Steve Cleary. He's the producer of the Pilgrim's Progress movie. He's going to be live from Studio H down at our home syndication network area. And he's going to be chatting with us about this fantastic new movie option for families. Stay right there. We'll be back with him right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When you're in professional sports, people tend to see only your on-field life. They think you're immune to the normal trials that everyone goes through, but that is far from the truth. Within one several-month period, our family had to deal with losing my dad and dealing with Lauren's major health problem. But those trials pulled us closer together as a family and gave us a chance to talk to our children about God and His sovereignty. Even when we can't explain why God answers our prayers the way He does, we can't lose faith in Him. It can be tough sometimes, but God will hear you, 
even when your prayers aren't answered the way you would like. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk, nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. Laura Perry. She refused to use the male pronouns or call me Jake. So what that did for me that she didn't know at the time, that was like a tether to reality. God never let me forget who I was. And that was a radical thought to me, and I did not want to hear it at first. <laughs> when I first heard it, it really kind of made me angry. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Pyro to the people with Todd Pyro. Here right outside Kansas City asking you, the voter, about the issues that are important to you. Obviously, immigration is a, a huge deal right now. And as far as, um, you know, Democrats want to say that there isn't a problem. Climate change, which is a really big problem. That's the biggest issue of our generation. What do you want to see done with regard to climate change? Yeah, so I personally want to see a Green New Deal. I vote pro-life and uh, murdering all of these babies has got to stop. The immigration, uh, I believe it's swelling our country up and we're just having to give out too much free, free money to people that don't deserve it. There are a lot of people trying to separate us. What's the number one issue facing our country? Respect, lack of respect right now. We don't respect each other's views. We don't respect each other's um, thoughts and we're not listening to each other. This has been Todd Pyro with Pyro to the People. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Uh, you know, Happy Hump Day. I hope you are enjoying the week as it progresses through. I know I've just been feeling so blessed by this weather and also uh, just by, I have to say, good friends, uh, prayer warriors will sit down and have a word with you. It's just been an amazing uh, couple of days here, and, and I hope it's the same for you. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Steve Cleary. He's the producer of the Pilgrim's Progress movie. Um, he's actually got a really interesting backstory where he's been working, uh, his, his projects include tortured for Christ and, um, another CGI animated feature length version of the Pilgrim's Progress and the animated Bible series, which is a visual narrative of the entire Bible. Um, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. It's my pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about Pilgrim's Progress, the movie. The book is actually, we have one kid here. I call her daughter, the youngest on air. She's read The Pilgrim's Progress like a million times, the actual book. We have three copies of it here at our house. And whenever she needs, I guess it's just like a mind-clearing exercise for her, I'll catch her reading it. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress again. I'm like, That's awesome. So um, we are very familiar with the content. And it is a favorite for kids and like the 
end of grammar school years, like fifth and sixth grade. And so turning it into an animated feature film is just the logical next step of progression to kind of draw other kids in. How did this come to be, this project? Well, we really started it uh, five years ago. It was kind of a dream and kind of a legacy project, exactly what you're talking about for our children and our grandchildren. One of my best friends and I were, we were looking at what, what can we leave as a legacy project? You know, we had done a lot of films and books for other people, but we wanted to say, if we were just to, to create any film we wanted to create, what would it be? And this really was a film. It was The Pilgrim's Progress. Nobody had ever done a theatrical release of what is the best-selling Christian book in history, considered the most influential book of all time outside the Bible. And it's like, it's just a natural, this amazing allegory of the Christian life. And we set out to to produce the movie. It seemed kind of crazy at the time and even more crazy during the journey when we realized how big this project really was. So then you, you decide if you could make anything, you want to make this, you're going to make it. How did God move in that process to kind of bring together the right people, funding, resources, et cetera? You know, it was, it was really a journey and it was really difficult. Um, I think there were many times I wanted to give up and we started with just three people a little bit of money, you know, we joke around, they said three people in a kitchen, we hired these three artists in Costa Rica, and they worked in this little house, and, and we started making posters, we wrote a script, we shared it with different ministries, and one of the ministries we shared it with was American Family Association, and they really believed in it, they got behind us, they helped us a little bit, and then others helped and others helped, but during the journey, we never had everything we needed. We were always dependent on God, we were always praying. We were always wondering how we were going to get to next week because then the team grew and we had 12 or 15 animators and, you know, we had the expenses and we knew we had to hire them direct to be able to afford them instead of hiring another studio. So this journey really taught me a lot. You know, I carried this burden of needing to provide the resources plus keeping the creativity there and just producing this project that was really bigger than any of us had imagined at the time. I think if I would have realized how big the vision was, I might, honestly, I don't know that I would have gone down this path. So I kind of joke around. I'm thankful I didn't see the whole path. And I just saw enough in front of me to give me faith and courage to go on. But God really showed up. I mean, in all practical purposes, we should have never been able to do this. So I love stories like that. That's one of my favorite things about when, when people come together to do a project like this. When and, and I totally, I'm with you on sometimes things are so difficult that if you'd known beforehand how difficult it was going to be, you'd have been like, not today, not me. I'm not doing <laughs> that. This doesn't need to get made that badly. But then afterwards, you must have this huge sense of accomplishment. And this is a kind of legacy type thing that goes on into like years beyond anything you'll be doing in the work arena. This movie will still be available on, you know, library shelves where kids check books out of the library. They'll check out a movie and they'll watch this and be changed by it. So it's, it's a real labor of love. But in the end, the legacy, it's just going to work on for Christ for, for years and years and years. You know, that, that's so true. Uh, my, my, my spiritual mentor was Pastor Richard Warmbrandt, who, who wrote the book Tortured for Christ. It was the movie I made last year. And on his, on his deathbed, he told me many times, he said, he said, write books and make movies. He said, they will travel further and live longer than you will. And he knew they were powerful tools to use. And one of his favorite books, one of his favorite books was, was The Pilgrim's Progress. And, you know, Richard Wombrandt wrote Tortured for Christ based on a prison experience. 
And John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress while in prison for 12 years for preaching the gospel. So it really came full circle to me. And that's really what I want. I want this film to be a legacy project. And we offer it free to every mission opportunity. And we really have a heart to get it out, to let people use it, to really follow in the footsteps of the Jesus film. We're already in production in 10 languages, and we're already international at the exact same weekend. We're in the we're, we're in U.S. theaters. Hmm. So what would you say to parents who are considering taking their kids to go see this or just hearing about this for the first time? What is the most uh, appropriate age for you know moviegoers, or is this a whole family film? And what would you kind of draw them in with? What, what part of the story? I think this reveals the Christian life, not in um, you just believe your parents. You know, you, you're a Christian because your parents were a Christian, or you're a Christian because you said a prayer one night. I think this demonstrates a different aspect of the Christian life. The Christian life is a journey, and on that journey, it starts with us being freed from our sin. It starts with the cross of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey. And you're going to face trials. You're going to face tribulations. You're going to be tempted, and you may fall off that path. But I think every person needs to know that they're walking their own path, and our king is there to help us. Even when we step off the path, he's there to help us back on the path. And he wants us on that path to eternity, but we all have to walk the journey. And even in the film, Christian, the main character, he wants to bring his wife and kids along, but he can't. They, they have to choose for themselves which journey to walk. And that's why I think you should bring your children to see films like this. We do recommend that children are eight or plus. We've had five and six-year-olds watch the movie. Some get scared, some don't. I mean, it really depends on what they've been exposed to uh, currently, I mean, if they're if they're watching what's on TV today, they can handle this movie. But we want parents to use discretion and discernment. Uh, we recommend eight plus, and we do have an official rating of PG. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's that's good for parents who are listening to know. Um, I agree with you. I think kids who watch the Avengers movie series and things yeah, like right. that are probably going to be fine with Paul Bunyan, but. Um, it is a good warning for those who have, you know, kept their, their children a little more shielded from popular culture to let them know that eight's probably an appropriate age. I'm, I'm interested in like, so it'll be in the theaters for two days and I want to, uh, let's put the graphic back up here. Um, we're, and if you're just tuning into the show, welcome home to American family radio. We're chatting with Steve Cleary. He's the producer for the Pilgrim's progress. It's based on John Bunyan's epic masterpiece uh, it, and the graphic that I have up on the online stream, which if you're checking that out, it's it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful representation of a bunch of the different characters in the movie. And um, we also have um, the, the information for you. It's in theaters April 18th and 20th only. You can go to pilgrims.movie, pilgrims.movie to find out more about the film. And, um, it, you know, I'm, I find it exciting when there's something we can all go watch where I don't have to you know, kind of under my breath or loud enough, like audibly during the movie, say, we don't believe in that. And my kids are teenagers, but I still say it because out of habit, I feel like I have to thwart and rebuke whenever that we see something that's biblically unsound or goes against God. If I see it, I have to, you know, rebuke it down right in that moment. So my kids never forget. And maybe my voice will ring in their ears when they're on their own and, and seeing this stuff. But this is not one of those films where I'm going to have to be on guard and telling the kids, oh, you know, no, no, no homosexual marriage. That's not biblical. That type of stuff. Yeah, that is not in our movie. 
Um, you know, it's it was really fun doing an animated movie with all these characters, and they're very colorful, and some of them are more whimsical, some of them are more scary, um, and some of them, you know, like the interpreter that represents the Holy Spirit. And it was really fun because we got to create 15 different worlds, 15 different sets of characters, but there really are 15 different lessons in the movie. And what I find is that even with children, I had a 10-year-old that said it was really encouraging for me when I watched them go through uh, the castle of despair and giant despair because while he wanted to just have all this depression and despair upon them so they would lose hope, they needed hope to escape that, to escape that environment. And here's a 10-year-old girl telling me that she's suffering from depression and she identified with it and she wanted to you know, really cry out to God and have hope in God to fight the despair that she feels in her own life. And that was really encouraging to me. So that's the scene that, that spoke to her the most. And other people have said different scenes depending on where they are and they're, you know, in their own journey of faith. So I got to say that's encouraging. Um, I, so there've been many times and, you know, in, in the, my entirety as an adult with, with kids where I've watched a film and I've enjoyed it as much as the kids and I've gotten a whole lot out of it because there's a certain kind of storytelling that really I'm, I'm afraid it's going to become lost on Hollywood. Um, it, it's, it's a type of storytelling in which children are entertained and they learn something and adults are entertained and learn something. And it's all in a film that is PG rating or, or lower like G or PG. And that is really difficult to do because entertaining adults is a different animal than entertaining children. And you have to have enough in there that goes over the head of the kids to entertain the adults, but you have to have enough meat in there for the kids to be entertained. It's tough work, but you've done that here. Uh, it was really, it was really a big challenge, and I, I really appreciate you pointing that out because it's something that we, from day one, it was important to us because we want to go on the mission field, and on the mission field, it's going to be eight to eighty, and it's going to be you know people of all people of all ages. So we wanted it to be you know, spiritually stirring for an adult. And, you know, I was sharing with somebody earlier today how this film has really changed my life and it's really wrecked my life. You know, somebody says, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm like, no, no, it's wrecked my life in a good way. I am so focused on how do I get up every morning and walk the king's path? Because it's really, we we are not living in the promised land. We're not living in the celestial city. If you If you want to look at it through the eyes of John Bunyan's allegory, we are living in the city of destruction. What, what does that tell us? This world will pass. This world will be destroyed. So I want to invest every day of my life into walking the king's path, into seeking the celestial city, to being in heaven with Christ. And then when I, then, then I want as many people as possible to come with me. And I find myself, the spiritual journey is not just trying to edify my own life and live a good life. No, it's about doing the work of the kingdom, being about our Father's business, being prepared to be a witness to others, and just led by God and the Holy Spirit to take every opportunity to be that light of the earth. So I have to say thank you so much for bringing that up because uh, one of my favorite things that I've heard from someone who works here at American Family Radio, it's, it's uh, Jim Stanley said to me once, when we were talking, he said he wants to be found in the fields working when Jesus returns. And I, that resonates with me so much. And we were just talking about the whole American idea of retiring. It's really, it's not just Americans. People all over the world retire. But even if you're retiring from your primary role, you still have work to do for the kingdom. And that is our primary workplace. But we, 
we often get bogged down in because we have to earn money, we have to eat, we have to live. And so when you say that you, first of all, you want to leave a legacy. And second of all, you want to bring as many people along with you as you can. This is supposed to be all of our heart as Christians, discipling others and bringing them along with us to that ultimate reward. So I hope that people are hearing your heart in this and that they're, they're excited. I'm certainly excited about the opportunity to go see something that is just um, clean and a great story. And I'm hoping to be as excited and spurred on as you are by creating the movie. I'm hoping to have that same experience as a, as a watcher. Um, so thank you for creating the film and for going through the arduous process of bringing it to us. We appreciate that. It's in theaters April 18th and 20th. The website is pilgrims.movie. So type in www.pilgrims.movie and you can find out more there. Um, April 18th and 20th is a very short amount of time away. So people, set it on your calendars. Put it on your phone right now. Stop now. Get your phone out. Go to the calendar app. Put it in. Give yourself an alert so you know, hey, I've only got the 18th and 20th to watch this. Check out uh, pilgrims.movie for places where you can you know, see the movie in your area. And Steve Cleary, thank you for joining us. It's, it, your time is valuable. Thank you for giving it to us today on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Stacy. It was great to talk to you, and, and God's blessings with everything uh, having to do with the movie. Really exciting. Um, that I love that. I love that that is a part of what we do here, that our primary mission here is to win souls for Christ, and that we are always looking for ways to promote good, clean content that accomplishes that effort. Okay, that is the music. Do you hear it? I never get enough of radio. Okay, sometimes, occasionally I do, but mostly I don't. <laughs> All right. We have onenewsnow.com, news and information up next for you. And if you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio. Stacey Washington. And uh, we'll see you soon.